Hello, this is the Vanguard Court Watch podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Right now, Vanguard Court Watch operates in three counties in California, including San Francisco and Sacramento. Our goal is to shine a light on ordinary injustice in the court system. This podcast is hoping to go a step further and shine a spotlight on criminal justice reforms at a national level. The case of Paul Fullerton has a lot of interesting angles. It happened in February 2016 in Yolo County, California. February 2016 was prior to the passage of Prop 64, which legalized recreational cannabis. The result is that Paul Fullerton was charged with a crime that does not exist anymore. He was a legal collective at that time. However, He did not have the ability to sell cannabis to random people. He was approached, as he will explain, and numerous law enforcement officers, mostly from Yonet, attempted time after time to get him to commit a crime. He finally slipped up, not because of any kind of desire to make money, not because of any kind of bad intentions on his part, but rather because they created a sob story. A man comes in, says his wife is dying from cannabis, and he gives him some cannabis. The guy comes back. He claimed to have a medical marijuana card at the time. Actually, his wife did. And the result was that uh, he gave Paul a small amount of money for a small amount of cannabis. Paul put that money in his charity boot. He didn't take it. As he said, why would I sell a small quantity of cannabis illegally when I have a business that makes over a million dollars a year? This is not a man trying to sell cannabis and yet he's targeted for a variety of reasons and the interesting backstory is this guy's a retired firefighter captain from uc davis this is a man with an exemplary history and he's a man that uh, got injured on the job and started using medical cannabis which is legal which was legal in 2016 There was nothing illegal about what he was doing. And yet the authorities in Yolo County and the Yolo County Narcotics Enforcement Team went after him many times, and they finally caught him. And after they caught him, they put him through the system. And he got to experience what it's like to be in the system as an ordinary person. And it was an eye-opening experience for him. A man who had never been in trouble in his life suddenly is facing legal charges. Ultimately, after taking away his daughter briefly, after uh, violating his rights on numerous occasions, the stress got too much for him and his family, and he settled the case for, for small misdemeanor charges. The result of which, actually, he ended up on house arrest. It's an extraordinary story, and there's all sorts of misconduct. 
We interviewed Paul back at his home in April of 2018, and he gave us permission to run the full interview now. So what you are going to listen is our interview from a year and a half ago. Enjoy. Okay, I got Paul Paul Fullerton. Paul Fullerton. (laughs) Paul Fullerton here. Uh, Paul, you give me permission to record this uh, conversation? Yes. Okay. So, uh, tell me about being a fireman. All right. I uh, always wanted to be a fireman since I was a little kid. I believe I was four years old when my mom took a picture and said I want to be a fireman. So, I started out with the Sparta Fire District where I was a volunteer in 1989 and then went to the Butte College Fire Academy, graduated in the 15th Academy, and then I started at Madison Fire District as a paid firefighter, and then in 1994, I was hired at UC Davis Fire Department. I worked there from 1994 to 2014. I started as a firefighter and worked my way up the ranks from fire specialist, engineer, and then to finally fire captain. I was a captain for eight years, uh, mostly on uh, truck 34, the ladder truck. And in 2001, I was injured by a faulty piece of equipment, our ladder truck, and I had a discectomy, fusion, and plating in C5, C6 of my cervical spine which at that time I should have been out, but I was in very good shape. So I came back and uh, worked another approximately seven or eight years. Um, And then I got hurt again, had another surgery, lasted about two weeks. And then I had yet another surgery. So I had two major surgeries in the first six months of being in the... uh, or I had two major surgeries in six months in my final year at the fire department. Because I was in shape and I was young, I was able to bounce back and continue to be a fireman. Uh, I, my first injury, and one of the things about them thinking I had so much money, it's because I did. My first injury was a $350,000 settlement for my neck. Um, I cleared basically almost $200,000 after that, which had been locked up in stocks and bonds and all that stuff over the years. Um, when I, during the time of me being a firefighter, I had a decorated career. I've had congressional recognition for valor. I've had the American Legion firefighter year that's voted on by my peers. I've had the Red Cross hero award for saving a student on UC Davis for CPR whom showed up to my court date, my final sentencing. Um, and I've also had commendations from the UC Davis Chancellor, one from Larry Vanderhoff for exercising the principles of community because I taught a class with Larry Vanderhoff, Biology 110. Um, uh, I was a guest speaker for Mad Made Evolution and Animals, so I taught a lot of classes with him, and I did it for free, and I would not take any money, and he liked that. So he said I had the principles of community. The second was from Linda Katehi for delivering a baby. One of my last calls, I delivered a baby in Solana Park. So um, I had a prestigious career. Uh, as I said, I had commendations that I've never, ever, ever, ever been in trouble at the fire department for anything. Um, and I've also had a very, very, very good career with law enforcement too. I was had a lot of friends from UC Davis that were really close to me as well as the sheriff's department who kind of helped me grow up. Tommy Lopez gave me my first bugles when I was promoted to captain and came to my my badging ceremony. He was also my fire chief in Madison when I was there. So make a long story short, I got injured on the job. Um, I went through 
uh, workers' comp giving me the runaround until Larry Vanderhoff actually stepped in himself and wrote a letter on my behalf. And then the ball started rolling. I almost lost my house. I almost lost everything I owned because workers' comp quit paying me for six months. City of Davis Union president, Bobby Wiest, stuck up for a UC Davis firefighter, which was very rare because we kind of didn't get along. But uh, he helped and got the national charter to call Liberty Mutual to further my insurance. And Liberty Mutual did it on an on a agreement that I would pay them back. So they basically gave me a loan for $50,000 on what my back pay was and what they owed me. So they saved me from losing everything. Um, uh, so I did, um, I ended up getting another big settlement. Uh, I think it was right around $250,000 for my neck. Back pay, um, pain inside, the, the whole shit caboodle. So, um, so then I went ahead and retired out from UC Davis Fire Department. Um, I got the full pension, which meaning I'm tax-free. Uh, retirement, they take my base pay, which was $8,800, and they cut it in half. And I get that tax-free for the rest of my life. Um, until my normal pension kicks in and then it adjusts itself. So basically, I don't even have to work. So I've always had a good income. Um, so to make a long story short, I ended my career. I had a big retirement on at UC Davis. And one of the things that Gina Updegraff, our engineer, said is we had 18 chiefs from 12 different departments. And that's very rare for a captain retiring. So the Sacramento Pipes and Drums um, and Woodland Honor Guard, which is something that's kind of rare too. They all showed up. It was like a big surprise. They all hit around the corner and then the pipes and drums came and they did a full ceremony for me. Um, had 150 guests. Larry Vanderhoff himself showed up to the retirement, which was pretty amazing. Um, and the head of HR for Human Resources. Liberty Mutual ended up, um, I told I had to pay them with $60,000. They ended up giving me 10000 because they said I went through so much bad things that they couldn't even believe what I had went through to get through everything. I was post-traumatic stress. I was seeing three counselors. UC Davis had me in counselors, and they upped their normal counselors from three to eternity, you know, and basically kept me straight. So I retired, then I opened up a little shop of growers. So after collecting all my funds, I had money in the stock market so Apple pretty much paid for a little shop of growers. I started out with forty thousand dollars and purchased the old business part for seven thousand and started from there. And we started out with hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year at the first year to almost close to a million dollars within six years. Um, so everything was going fine and dandy through the whole first three or four years. Then I was approached by um, county supervisor, uh, Matt Rex Road, that they were working on a county ordinance and that it was looking like cannabis was not going to be allowed in Yolo County. Um, the supervisors and the Ag Commission were very into us being the leader and pioneer of all Ag, all things Ag. Well, why not grab this by the horns and see what happens? And they said that, my, that they had a lot of my background had a lot of influence on them to see it wasn't as bad as they all thought it was. My very quote to Mr. Rex Rota was, I don't want to get involved politically because they've left me alone. They meaning law enforcement. But 
because the industry was working so well with me, with my neck, because I was on 14 different pills at one time. Pills to lower my blood pressure, pills to raise my blood pressure, half the pills, Lyrica, Vioxx. All these pills now are being outlawed for heart murmurs and all this stuff. So thank God I was off the pills and I, I did the whole cannabis thing. So I jumped into this cannabis industry knowing that it was going to rattle some cages. But I did seek uh, counsel before I did it. Not counsel meaning lawyers, but fire chiefs who were very close to me and let them know what my plan. And they said, go for it. You would be the perfect person to pick up the flag in this industry to show that it's okay. So, um, so I did. Well, I went to the first, uh, I believe it was September or October of 2015. I went to the first supervisor meeting to give my testimonial of my background, where I came from, and that I'm a businessman now. And I believe one of the quotes I said is I didn't roll out of a van with a bunch of smoke and hit myself in the head with a shoe and say, that's my skull. Okay. I, I, it's not affecting me in any other way. The supervisors decided right then and there that they were going to go ahead and do this. And they voted right then and there to write an ordinance on the cannabis. So I started working with the Yellow County Ag Commissioner, John Young, giving him all the figures for cannabis on how much it costs to raise a plant, grow a plant. Everything about cannabis. Everybody was very uneducated about cannabis. There was a lot of misnomers and things. So I said, Mr. Rexroad, why don't you come to my house? I have a small indoor grow. I'll show you all the paperwork because I'm a state certified collective. And you can kind of see for yourself. And he goes, well, I've never even smelled weed before. I'd like to know what everybody's complaining about. So I said, well, I just packaged my outdoor and finished it up so you can smell the jars of outdoor that I have. And see it. So he came to my house and saw the indoor, smelled the jars, talked to my neighbors, saw where everything that was in the room where it was packaged. And I also had a court order saying that I could have cannabis around my kids. And this is what really gets me. About nine months before my raid, CPS, my ex-wife had taken me to court over cannabis and our son and the judge pretty much ruled that it was decision-making ability on when you could grow cannabis. And I just used my background as a fire captain saying that my decision-making ability affected the lives of the public and I was pretty good at my job. So I think I could decide when's a good time to smoke around my kid. She agreed. So she put in my paperwork that Mr. Fullerton is allowed to grow his buds. I have to inventory my, my product, put it behind a locked door and weigh it by the gram and Mason is not to be around during package and harvest. So it was in there that I was allowed to grow. Well, when that judge put that in there, that overruled the ordinance because she just said that I was allowed to continue to grow my buds. So I did my outdoor grow with my, um, my employees. We formed a state certified collective, which it was certified, all the paperwork I still have. And I, instead of spreading out the cannabis over all over the place, I had my Employees, we grew it in my backyard. We pulled 30 pounds of cannabis out of my backyard. We processed it in my here in my garage with the garage door open, the cannabis on the driveway. All my neighbors were involved. They wanted to see how the trim machine worked. They, just, they were just intrigued. So, and half of them smoked cannabis. So, never a problem. Um, so, we harvested the product. It was all inventoried in my back room per my court order. Um, 
everything's going a-okay, then I started receiving phone calls from law enforcement. Friends. Friends that have known me my whole career. Friends that I've worked with. Uh, from arson cases to whatever, they know I'm straight. And it was eight officers from four agencies. West Sacramento, Woodland, Yellow County Sheriff, and UCD. Oh, actually, five agencies in the city of Davis. I received phone calls and or phone calls from friends of them, or I met with them per personally at a dinner. One of them I met with in winters at a dinner, and they pretty much said, you are being watched by Yonet for out of nowhere, and they are watching you hard. And I said, I'm not doing anything. They said, we know you're not, but just be careful. And this is a quote from them. Be careful. These guys are not us. They are shady. Okay, this is from their own. And when I saw the tone of their voice and the seriousness, I got a little nervous. So me being the, the person that I am, I called with the police department on a recorded line three times. The front desk person was Mickey or Minnie, or I don't know her name, but it was like Mickey or Minnie or something like that. I stated I was Captain, retired fire captain UC Davis. I've had my business going on for three and a half years. There is nothing going on in my business, but the word on the street is I'm going to be raided. I do not want my door kicked in. I will make copies of any and all paperwork that you would like. I will sign an affidavit. Please pass this to a lieutenant, a sergeant, front desk sergeant, whoever. Let somebody know that they are, I want them to come to my shop anytime they want. And I will sign an affidavit unannounced. And I will let them search every aspect of my store. If there's something that they feel that isn't right, we'll talk about it. I'll either remove it. Or we talk about it, or I explain what it's for, because I have nothing to hide. Well, they said, Mr. Fullerton, we have not heard anything. Everything's a-okay. I wouldn't worry about it, but I was. I then emailed the county supervisors. I have a feeling that I'm being set up. What do you mean? Well, nobody knows I'm working with you guys, but for some reason, a lot of undercovers are coming into my shop. He goes, how do you know they're undercovers? I said, because I know my customers. And when we ask them, no, we won't sell to you, but if you'd like to smoke with us, they always want to go out to get their pipe, but they never come back. That never happens. We had um, the head of Yonet himself came in, Gary Richter, about seven months before the raid, saying he was a construction worker. I did not know it was him at the time until later because I just had a weird feeling. He walked around the store with me. I made me get him a quotes on stuff. And what blew it for me was when he said money is no object. I've never heard a cannabis grower in the history of cannabis growers say money is no object. They always want a deal. Um, and then right before he left, he said, hey, you know, I'm a construction guy. And what got me again is I, he kept saying he was construction, but, and he just got off the job, but yet his clothes were clean. He wasn't wearing the right boots because I kind of know about OSHA being a fireman. All right. He didn't smell like iron, like he was an iron worker. Um, and then I shook his hand again. Well, his hand was as soft as a baby's butt. Okay. Iron workers' hands are like mittens because I used to inspect buildings on UC Davis and the head iron workers were tough as nails and they appeared to be iron workers. <laughs> so he asked me to sell him an eighth of cannabis. I said, brother, I don't sell cannabis here, but I would be more than happy to smoke some with you if you have a card, but we can't, we don't sell here. And my exact words to him when he left, why would I sell an eighth of cannabis for 
when I have all this? And he goes, ha ha, and he laughed. Then he asked, could somebody bring, you, bring me some? And I said, well, if you're a smoker, you know the rules. Nobody's going to sell to you that doesn't know you. So no, I can't call anybody to come bring you anything. And he said, okay, well, all right, well, thanks anyway, buddy. And he left. About It made me feel weird, so about three or four days later, he had a flame tattoo on his left arm, and somebody told me at the head officer, had a, one of the officers had a flame tattoo on his left arm. I saw a flame tattoo through his clothing. Got me a little scared. So I asked one of my friends who knows that person, do you have a picture of Mr. Richter? I'd love to see what he looks like. I can't remember what he looked like. Oh, yeah, I have one right here. My heart dropped. I said, wow, this is the head guy. Thank God I did sell to him. You know what I mean? But I wasn't. After that, we had a Harley rider come in who stated he'd been riding all day, but he was clean as a whistle, no bugs on his stuff. And he proceeded to ask us to sell him some edibles. I said, unless you're going to eat soil, we don't sell anything here. And he said, well, uh, well, fine then. Can you point me to a dispensary? I said, yeah. And I said there was a dispensary at XYZ Street and Sac. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I went there about a year ago. Well, it just opened up six months before. So it wasn't a year ago. So everybody knew. Uh-oh. So as he went out to his motorcycle, I went through our doors that are blacked out and peeked through a little peephole that we have. And a tour, uh, Prius pulls up with a guy in a suit. The guy on the motorcycle looks over at the guy in the suit and shakes his head no. And then the guy in the suit shook his head no, and he said, like, one more time. Then he proceeded to come back in with, like, a phone, some sort of phone. It almost looked like an old uh, case you see those big VHS, like your camera case. So he gives his camera case, brings it back, sets it right on the table, and says, are you sure you can't sell me anything? I said, sir, we don't sell cannabis here for the last time. Again, then he left. Then we had a very, very attractive young lady came in. She was say, stating that she just didn't have anything, would love to have some cannabis, you know, da, 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 da. wasn't interested in growing. Again, sorry, we don't sell cannabis here. It was one after another. Tweakers would come in. Are you Paul? Yes. I've got 14 pounds of indoor at cheaper, cheap price. Well, for one, tweakers don't have weed, okay? Two, it's crazy. So I, I literally threw him out of the store. I was so mad. Get out, get out, get out. Then again, another tweaker was sent in. This one was on a wire because he would ask me, do you have any weed for sale? And he would nod no. And I'd ask again, do you, do you have weed for sale? He would, he would he, again, he would nod no to me to say no. So that told me that, Oh, great. They're, they really are after me. So all this said and done, I had a meeting in my shop with all my employees. And I said, we're about to get raided. And just so you know, there's nothing I can appear to, to do to stop it. Um, they said, well, maybe we should just get rid of our store weed that we smoke here. And, you know, my collective weed. And I said, no, that is legal. I am not changing what we do because it's legal. We are not doing anything wrong. So, needless to say, they came anyway. Kicked out my door. I had seen them following me numerous times, so I knew they were on my tail. We saw where they parked. We knew they were across the street. We knew they were coming over and hiding behind the railroad tracks. We saw them one night, the little heads poking up. 
So I really didn't think that we had done anything that was wrong. Uh, prior to them coming in, we have a well-known hot rod builder in town who has stage four cancer. He had helped my father and I build our hot rod for about three years. His wife and daughter and him came into my shop right after my father died. And he said, well, God dang it, Paul, I read the nice article about your shop. If you can smoke cannabis and you're a fireman and your dad did it at the end, well, God damn it, I'm he was so tired. So I told the wife and daughter, I said, listen, you can't take him to Sacramento. Yeah, come on, he, he's horrible. I said, here's the deal, I'm gonna give you some of my personal, which is totally legal of the law. I gave him a little baggie of my personal, gave everybody, we all had a big group hug, cried right before we left, and he looked me in the eye and thanked me and said, Paul, thank you so much, you know, for, for always being there for our family, and you know, on and on and on, and you know, he, he was just feeling the meds he was on. Anyway, you know, and they said, well, geez, Paul, you can't get in trouble for this, do you? And I said, your dad has cancer. This is why we do this. I said, all I have to do is take three steps out my door and hand it to you out in the parking lot, and I won't break a zoning ordinance in Woodland. But come on. And I gave it to him. So I felt good. I felt like a fireman again. That feeling, you know, of helping. So we fast forward about three weeks. We're in the middle of getting our fish store ready because I invested in those young kids open a fish store. And we had a local, I want to say he's a picker, a bum, I don't know. He digs in garbage cans. He's dirty all the time and picks up our pallets. And he helped find a lot of our props in our shop because our props in our shop are all recycled lumber, stuff like that. Oh, let me check recycled lumber and, and things like that. So I said, hey, we're, over ordering a, we're opening a fist store. Can you please um, help me find some stuff again? Anything with ropes, anything has to do with a ship, sales, bring it, and I'll buy it off you. Thanks, Paul, you got it. Well, one day he showed up with another guy, and this was the undercover officer. My friend did not know he was an undercover, undercover officer, um, and they brought numerous things to my shop rope nets boards and we purchased them off of them no weed was offered no weed was set for anything and then one day we're sitting at the fish tank after they brought some lumber in but we didn't use it for the shop and the person that i knew who was a picker said his buddy had a sick wife could you help him and these guys are in garbage cans so I remember looking over at him and I said, wow, bro, your wife's sick? He said, yeah. I said, man, you're down on your luck. What she got? He goes, and I, he mumbled something. I thought she said cancer, but it could have been cataracts. I don't know. But she was sick. So I said, oh, man. And my, the, the bum that I knew said, you think you could help him? And I said, bro, you're down on your luck. You don't have no money. I said, here's a small amount of weed. I guess they weighed it. It was 1.5 grams. 1.5 grams is enough for a joint. It was a sample for his wife to test and try to see if she liked it, if it worked for her. So I gave it to him, no charge. Fast forward, he said uh, his wife liked it. That every, He said, no, he didn't say his wife liked it because I already made the, the relationship with him and that's where the stuff got kind of messed up. He said, I liked it. That's what it says on the video. So he was wired up, this undercover, came to my shop wired up, 
and asked if he could get some more for her. I said, oh man, you know, blah, 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 blah. I said, you know what? Let's do that. He called me first at my house. And my dog, I was watching a movie with my family. I just don't take phone calls at night when it has to do anything with the shop or anything. I said, hey, we'll talk at the shop. Because he was asking about getting some. So he came to the shop. He said he had money. Never once did I say I was going to charge him or anything. He said, I have 300 bucks. And, or you know, he said, I would need 300 bucks for the weed. At the time, I didn't realize that he thought I was going to charge him. I thought he just wanted that amount, you know, equivalent amount of $300. And I said, you know what? We have some store weed in the back that we smoke here for ourselves. You're down on your luck. I'm just going to give it to you. So I give him the weed. I weigh it out. Their evidence locks say 95 grams. They must have weighed it with the package because it was 35 grams. Seven grams over a $100 fine with the state. 28 grams is an ounce. Seven grams over a $100 fine. As I went, they, when they made the DVD and sent it to my lawyer, they broke the 10-minute DVD up into two. The whole center section of the DVD is missing where we talked about the wife and the cancer and the exchange for the money. He grabbed the money and put it in my hand and held it close to him with these puppy dog eyes. And I was like, oh man. So I thought to myself, this guy might be a man of pride who doesn't want to give medicine to his sick wife and not pay for it because then it won't help. You know, when people's wives and families are sick, they start thinking like, I'm only going to tie my right shoe before my left shoe. You know what I mean? They start doing stuff, anything to help their family. So maybe I thought, well, this is a guy of pride like I am. I would want to pay for something that was going to help my, my wife. So when he put the money in my hand, I put it in the fire boot, which is our donation boot that goes to charity. I don't need $200 of cannabis. My store makes almost a million dollars a year. Okay. So in the video, which I would be happy for you if you ever want to take it home and watch it, the video, I'm wearing a jacket at the end of one video when it starts, but the it's vice versa. Jacket's off and then it's on. Nowhere do you see where I put my jacket on. And the conversation is about to totally different things. He asked how I shot a hole in one of my props. And I said with a pellet gun, and I actually went over to the computer to show him the high-powered pellet gun. Yeah, it's pretty cool, dude. You know, because he just acted like he was kind of slow. So, anyway, so I gave him the cannabis. After he left, I thought to myself, God, man, I shouldn't have did that. You know, bum or not, you know, I got to use my freaking head. You know, I started second-guessing myself. Even though I knew it was legal because he said his wife had a card. And I will say this, and you can put it in the paper. I will take a lie detector test against all the officers to ask, I don't know which one it was, it was on the phone when I asked about the card. But they called me, I said, does your wife, do you have a card? He stated, no. I said, does your wife? He stated, yes. The state law says verbal or written by a caregiver. All right? I will take a lie detector test with any one of those officers and they can ask me the question, did you ask for a card? Yes, my line will be straight as an arrow. I will pay for the lie detector test to not use any more tax dollars. Okay, I'm, I will go against these officers any day of the week because I know I'm not lying. Um, so I, want, I had that same feeling. My feeling of helping the cancer patient before got the best of me. I'm a very empathetic guy. I'm passionate because of what I did my whole life. Okay, so I gave him the canvas. He left. I called him up later and asked him, could you the next day, could you please bring it back? I I totally made a mistake. I shouldn't have did that to you. I didn't break any laws, but it just didn't feel right. So he proceeded to state to me that it was already gone. 
I was like, whoa, I don't even smoke that much. And I said, okay, it's gone, huh? And then he started asking me about high-powered weapons if I had any for sale. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. You go from talking about a small amount of cannabis for your sick wife to want me to buy high-powered weapons off me. I said, listen, brother, I'm a deer hunter. I was raised around guns. I do not believe in that whatsoever. So our conversation is over. Please do not come in my shop anymore. You just gave me, you just freaked me out. Okay. We hung up. I said, I'm going to be raided. I went back to my shop, told my guys, the bum. And there's guys that are from the streets that hang out my shop. I said, that bum was undercover. Everybody said, no way. They wouldn't use a bum and a cancer patient because everybody in my shop knew what I was doing. I gave to a cancer patient or a sick patient. So sure enough, the doors kicked in. We are raided. Um, when they questioned me at my shop, they basically they went to my shop and I told them, hey, anything that, that you guys want, I would have did this anyway. The officer laughed and said, well, it doesn't work that way anymore. They proceeded to tear my store apart, search for everything. They, of course, they found nothing. They stated in the ev evidence logs, it was something like whatever 1.2 pounds or whatever combined of all my, I get a bunch of samples from my customers, little different packages, kind of like if somebody grew tomatoes. Here's a bushel of tomatoes of what I grew, thank you. So I had all these little packages of all different types of packaging. Well, they came in first and said, well, we're going to get you for intent to sell and distribute for these prepackaged items. I said, they're all in different types of packages and there's not going to be any weights or anything. These are given to me by other people, you know, growers. They found 112 vaporizer pen cartridges, which a grower who sells to dispensaries and makes these little oil cartridges that screw into a pen head had a soil bill of over $3,000. He couldn't pay it. So he brought all these cartridges in and said, this is how much these are worth. Can we do a change? My employees have been busting tail. They've been doing good. So I said, you know what? Fine. I'll take this in exchange for the bill. So me being the honest person I is, I, honest person I am, I took my own money, charged the bill and taxed it. So the state got their tax and then kept these as a bonus to all my employees that they could grab three to five pens a week for themselves. And if we go to a reggae festival, we grab a whole bunch. 250 pens were given to me at the time. It was about six months earlier, five months earlier. It was down to 112. They came out, oh, we have 112 pens. I was admitted. I said, well, there was 250. Those aren't for sale. They're for my customers. I also stated to them that the pens have an insignia on them, a special insignia. And I said, if I was selling them in town, you should be able to provide me with at least a handful of pens of people that you've arrested that had these on them if I was selling them. I guarantee you will not because I do not sell them. So they confiscated the pens. Fine, whatever, no proof. They took all my customers' money out of the safe. I had all my safe was locked. They came out and said, we have large amounts of currency. And they kept saying large amounts of currency, large amounts of currency. They never said what the total was. They found a grand total of $38,000. Little did they know, I sold my Corvette or was working a deal for my Corvette a couple days prior to that. $15,000 was my safe, which was the residual for my Corvette sale. I had about five to $6,000 for the fish store we were opening because we did not have an address yet. We were negotiating a lease. We can't open a bank account without an address. So it was sitting in there waiting, all marked. 
Then I had down payments for my customers. My customers give down payments for special order items. I have a book with probably about 300 names from the past since I've been open on prepayments. Yonat says, so somebody would leave an $8,000 prepayment? I said, yeah. If they're buying a $12,000 trim machine, I'm not going to get stuck with it. So they're going to prepay. Okay. So I had also a grower that's from Oregon who buys all his products in California, which would be tax-free in Oregon because he loves our shop. He's out money. So I have all my customers that were out their money. Every single cent was accounted for. And I had everything in deposit slips. Was, I was on my way to the bank when they came. They found $980 in my pocket. That was for new tires for the Corvette. We have a receipt for that from USA Tire. Grand total for the tires, $960. I was going to have $20 for lunch. They got excited about us. We found a scale at your shop, Paul. I sell scales. All different sizes. And that was my demo scale. And I also used a scale to break 40-pound bags of azomite into one uh, one pound uh, thing, so we weigh them out. The person who bought all the one pounders is a retired Department of Justice, which he said, I will verify that I bought the last little baggies of that were broken down into one pound increments. They asked about my money counter. Well, you have a money counter. Why do you have that? Because my business is 80% cash. I can't have money sitting on a table. And, the, and it also checks for counterfeits and everything else. I also sell money counters, three different styles. So I just, at that point, I'm throwing my, my head up. One of the officers proceeded to, one of my friends was there handcuffed and proceeded to ask one of the officers if he would take a selfie with us. The officer wasn't from Yolo County. He looked when the Yolo, when the Yonet officers went into my office and shut the door, he jumps over the fish tank area and takes a quick selfie and then looked over there and ran back. I was like, oh my gosh, this guy just helped us. He took a selfie during a traumatic time. And all he kept saying is like, this is a really cool shop, guys. He was actually nice the whole time. Never questioned, but he wasn't from here. Um, they found a couple hundred bucks of petty cash in my drawer that was marked petty cash. It's on my taxes, petty cash. They claimed that was drug money. They dumped out the fire department boot, and I had fire department money in my thing. I was like nine hundred or $883 or something. Well, if it's a drug dealer, it's always even numbers. Nobody has a change clicker in the drug market, okay? Always even numbers. I even told the officer, does that sound a little off to you? 883 And I said, and plus, the envelope says boot money right on it. And he turned it around and said boot money. And he goes, nope, drug money, and laughed. I said, okay. They proceeded to dump out the fire boot, take all the money out of the, out of the register, and I told them that the boot money averages $1,000 to $1,500 per every six months, and I've donated on time. If you did the math from what was found, the boot money is right around 1000 right where it should be. Then they searched my truck while they were there. Again, an officer helped me. The officer that searched my truck, they had a woody about the guns about guns. That's all they kept asking about. Well, I had lost one of my clips to one of my handguns when I was at the shooting range and I tore my truck apart and couldn't find it. Well, they found it. He could have easily said, I found this in the car seat, you know, or whatever. When I pulled up to my house the next day, I get in my truck and the clip is sitting on my floorboard with a piece of paper over it. So he didn't even turn it into evidence. 
That should tell you something right there. So after they tore my store apart, took all the money out of my store, all the money out of my safe, everything was deposited in, in deposit slips. They take me home. When I walk into my house, they tore my house apart. The first thing they did is they grabbed me and they threw me in my, in my uh, daughter's room and my wife's sitting on the couch, she's okay. And they proceed to do nothing but question me about crystal meth and gun running. Crystal meth and guns. Where's, we know you're running shit. Where's all the crystal meth, Paul? Where's all the guns? Hey, if you come and help us out, we'll leave right now. All they were doing was pushing me about crystal meth and guns. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. You got bad information. No, nothing about weed. All they kept telling me was, we already know you grow weed. We already know about that. We don't give a shit about your weed. We don't care about your weed. All we want to know is where's the crystal meth and where's the guns. And I'm like, you guys are crazy. I said, I have no crystal meth. I have no guns. I don't even, I've never seen crystal meth before. I don't even know what it looks like. Okay. Um, you know, pretty much, you know, F you firemen. We know this. You know, they, all they do is cuss at me the whole time. You're an insult to your badge. How can you be a drug dealer? And I'm like, I am not a drug dealer. Then they, then out of nowhere, they said, well, you sold to an undercover. I said, I know the bump. Well, how'd you know this? I said, because I've never done it before. I know exactly who it was. And then they proceeded to go back to crystal meth. And then they said, hey, why don't you come work for us, Paul? You know, get us a couple, whatever. I said, so you're going to raid me. Everybody on this broad green earth knows that I am a cannabis grower and you expect me to go to somebody and ask for crystal meth, I will get killed. No, you're out of your mind. And then I said, if you think I'm going to tweet on my weed growers, you're really out of your mind. And then they said, we've been watching you. We've had extensive investigation. I said, I know for 46 days. I said, 46 days isn't very extensive. That's a little bit over a month. And I said, I know. I said, I had eight cops from four agencies call me. Tell me what you drove, where you parked, everything. And they said, who told you that? I said, well, I'm not going to tell you who did that. And then he looked at the other officer, Lara, and said, see, I fucking hate that. And I said, hey, what? The good cops don't want to see a good person get blamed for something they didn't do? Yeah, and they told me, fuck you. You did, I'm a smart ass. And then he hit his hand on his leg and said, see, I hate that. I hate that. At that point, he said, well... Paul, we're going to have to take care of the weed. I said, so you cut down my cannabis? They said, yeah. I said, well, my paperwork is on the counter. I'm a certified collective. Everything is inventory and accounted for. They said, we don't give a fuck about your paperwork. I said, well, the state of California sure as hell do and the voters. And they all laughed again. And they said, well, we found a lot. We found a large amounts of currency here at your house. I said, well, what's that? $7,000 is the large amount of currency they found in my house. 2000 was for my neck. Uh, um, treatments and we had a trip planned for Cabo San Lucas that we've been saving for I told them I think El Chapo has a little bit more than that I told them that um, that I'm not living beyond my means I have old jeans I have old belts I have chip dishes tell me where all this money is that you're talking about then they said they were going to get me for money laundering. And I said, well, you can go ahead. I'm certified through the Secretary of State. I'm also an LLC. And I'm also getting my books audited by UC Davis. The last audit was two years ago or three years ago by Tom Collins, a forensic auditor, to audit my books to make sure that everything's up and up. My books are on point. 
So I didn't think for a second I'd be arrested. Then they pretty much said, well, have you ever sold weed before? I said, well, how far do you want to go back? High school? Have you ever, and they kept saying giving and selling was the same thing. So I had given weed before and me being honest, I said, yes, I've done it one before knowing that I'd given it to this cancer patient, my dad's friend. They looked at each other and said, that's all we need. You have a right to remain silent. They questioned me before my Miranda rights anyway, which they can't do. Mm, well, they can, huh? They can. Yeah. And I said, well, what are you arresting me for? They said, weed. I said, you just said, you already know about my weed. You sit here and ask me about crystal meth and gun running and all this stuff for 45 minutes. No, no, no. What happened was you guys went 60 deep, kicked down two doors and didn't find shit. And now you're going to fall back on the weed thing. Oh, I'm not dumb. I said, I'm going to sue the living shit out of every one of you guys. And they said, well, Paul, we, your gun safe was unlocked. I said, no, my gun safe was not unlocked. They said, yes, your gun safe was unlocked. I said, no, it wasn't. They go, who has access to the gun safe? I said, myself and my wife. I said, to be honest with you, I don't even know the combo. She opened, she does a combo for me and then, you know, I'll open it up because I have a hard time remembering stuff with my injury. And he goes, what was locked? I said, no, man. I said, who would have a $3,000 gun safe and keep it locked? Then they kept talking about, I said, who would have a $3,000 gun safe and keep it locked? Then they kept talking about, you mean unlocked or unlocked. Yeah. Unlocked. And so to make a long story short, I said, that's not true. They said, Miss Fulton, we're going to take your daughter. I said, what? At that point I stood up, put their hands on their guns. When I stood up, I said, are you serious? Bro, I was a fire captain. You're going to shoot me in my house. I said, why are you taking my daughter away? Then I started to cry because I said, how can you take my daughter away? Wow. You guys don't play fair. I said, why? What, what, what did she do? Your gun safe was unlocked. They said, no, my gun safe was not unlocked. Well, they flipped the room. I said, well, if they found the money. They found the gun safe combination. They opened the gun safe or you could question whatever you think. My wife even sent her question. The gun safe was locked. Doing a gun safe is like driving a car. The ignition goes, you know what to do. It's automatic. You shut the door, you spin the dial, you pull the handle, locked. They kept saying I had a large amount of weaponry. I had one 30-06 deer hunting rifle. I had my father's 30-06 deer hunting rifle. It was just brought to me by my brother three days before because he got it all redone to give it to my mom as a gift. It's only my safe for two days. A shotgun, it's a goose gun with a barrel that's long as long can be, a 22 Ruger, and I had an AR-15 that was registered and had a cable lock. I have a key to the cable lock, but there's no longer a cable lock to be found anywhere. That was my largest, four weapons was my large amount of weaponry. And I told them, well, the deer horns in my garage that you're tripping over, I shot those deer. I didn't tackle them. Again, they called me a smart ass. Um, so all my guns are registered. My nine millimeter handgun was locked in the handgun safe, but there's no combination for that because it's fingerprint. Those were locked. So they pulled those out and my nine millimeter that I used for the store and they pulled out a 22 Magnum pistol that was for my wife as home defense if she was home alone. Cause I was at the fire department a lot. Um, and that's pretty much it on the guns. 
I argued with them tooth and nail. And they said, that's why we're taking your daughter. I was like, and then they said the cannabis. They said my doors were unlocked. But yet, as you saw, my doors are broken down because they were locked. They took a pipe. So uh, after they proceeded to tear the house apart, questioned me over and over and over about the crystal meth, the guns. They chopped out my weed. I even said my canopy was an 8 by 8 canopy which the law says 10 by 10. And then they said, well, you have a large amount of money for a business that only does 200,000 a year. Well, they looked at old court documents for my child custody case. And at that time, that's what my store made. But if they would continue to go on the paper further in, they would have saw where the judge allowed me to have the weed. My cannabis was inventory behind a locked door. Everything that my court order said, it was done. Um, there was, uh, a vacuum sealer at my house. All my meat in my freezer is vacuum sealed, but they proceeded to say that I had packaging material. They took postal service boxes that I had that were flat and wrapped in plastic. Well, when they, if they were to open up those postal packages, they turned into bird boxes to ship live birds across the United States, which they're inspected by the uh, Department of Agriculture. So you do not ship cannabis in bird boxes. So... Um, they then proceeded to, after I said that the $7,000 is a large amount of currency, they said, well, we believe it's drug money. I said, what do you mean drug money? They said, all we have to do is believe. They kept laughing about it, you know, laughing about it. I said, well, why didn't you raid me when I was a fire captain? Because I had a lot more stuff. And so they found another spot with $300 which I sold Nova parts for my hot rods and I kept it separated from the regular home income money so I could use it for my car. Every, I didn't think they were going to arrest me because I had a viable answer for everything. Enough to where they kept calling me a smart ass. They picked up my daughter from school, which my mom and my brother were on their way there, which are very respectable people. They proceeded, CPS went down there to pick up my daughter brought her home from school to see my wife in handcuffs, then proceeded to ask my five-year-old daughter, where does daddy keep the green stuff? Okay. The, so she said under the bed. Well, they found empty jars under my bed and the box that the jars were in was green. So she knows no difference. She's five. Well, they proceeded to say there was weed in those jars. I know for a fact, those jars were from a harvest two years prior. <coughs> there were no, no cannabis in the jars. I had 22 pounds and 8 ounces inventory in my back room. Guess what they found in my back room? 22 pounds. Guess how much they found in my bed? 8 ounces. So the bag of smoke weed that was locked in my back room with all my other cannabis was under my bed. So I went through all the care to put it. My only locked door in my, in my house. Inventory logs and everything, but leave it laying out? I don't think so. There was a pipe that was on my counter that was... It didn't work. It was an old prototype from the 70s. Smokers will know what a prototype is. I was going to use it as a little trinket, hang it up in my shop as a, you know, an old pipe. It didn't work at all. Well, all of a sudden, they found cannabis in it. They said there was cannabis on my counter in this pipe for my daughter to get. Why would I put cannabis in a pipe that does not work? It was all cleaned, ready to go for the shop. The other pipe that I had was a tobacco pipe. It wasn't even cannabis. They didn't even take the pipe. 
Mr. Tooley has both pipes. One was tested, no cannabis. The other one had cannabis, and it was fresh cannabis that was out of my grow room. They also were so concerned about kids getting by weed that they left a grand total of 1.4 pounds on my driveway when they left. My house had nobody here for the whole next day until we got out of jail. Anybody could have walked by and grabbed however many buds they want off my driveway. 40 officers there, but nobody knows how to use a broom. They left buds in my daughter's room that I found. They were on their feet that they trampled everywhere. So concerned about my daughter's safety, yet they didn't do a quick sweep of the house to make sure that they, they left masks they, to freak my daughter out in her room. They left cannabis in her room. Cannabis all over my driveway. But yet, they were so concerned about the safety of the kids. And we have pictures of everything. They said my neighbors were upset. Every one of my neighbors wrote letters on my behalf. One of them said it made them sick to their stomach that they took a picture in front of my house like a football team. Like they just caught El Chapo. I've never been in trouble in my life. And I told them, why are you guys doing this to me? They said you did it to yourself. And they continue to laugh. At that time, they said they were taking my daughter. I said, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I didn't know what to do or what to say. And then they kept telling me, come work for us. Come work for us. Right after they did that. I'm not working for you pieces of shit. So they load me into the van. Uh, I'm sitting in the van the whole time. About 25 minutes, which is like a Shakespeare play, the, the way it turned out. Because the guy guarding me in the van, I got him his job at UC Davis Police Department. He didn't even make the list, and Annette Spacuza contacted me and asked me what I knew about him. I said his family lives down the street from me. I don't know him personally, but his family is very, very, very respected by me. She said, that's all I had to hear. So she hired him. He would not have been a cop if it weren't for me, and now he's guarding me. I gave him an earful. They were on the phone for about 10 or 15 minutes. I hugged my wife goodbye, kissed her, get me out of jail. All of a sudden, she comes out handcuffed. I said, why are you handcuffing her? They said, because of you. Before they put her, put us in the, before they took us to the jail, I went in first. They held her outside the jail and said, pick between your husband and your child. If you give us any information on your husband, even information that you feel, you'd be back home with your kid right now. She said, we haven't done anything. My daughter will be taken care of by my family. And we went to jail. Um, the thing that gives me the most is the large amounts of currency that they kept saying they found. Every single cent is accounted for except for $17. All they asked me about was crystal meth and gun running and all this other crap that I know absolutely nothing about and decided to take my cannabis. It was my personal medicine. They kept asking me, why do you have 22 pounds here at your house? That's distributed between five people. I was holding their cannabis because I live in a cul-de-sac. I have an alarm system. My neighbors all know. A lot of them are retired. They're home all day. It's safe. Very safe. But of course, it didn't matter. All the documentation. I was a state certified collective. We had an agreement. So I was just upset that they kept saying large amounts of currency, which the large amounts of currency wasn't even mine. It was customers' money and everything else. The large amounts of, oh, the high capacity firearm. I had a 30 round clip for my AR-15 that was given to me by my brother, two of my brothers. One of them broke because it was 
the spring broke in it, so it was tossed. I could not remember when it was or when it was given. It was on 2011, 2012. Well, they said that they were taking my daughter too because I had a 30-round clip in my safe, and 30-round clips are illegal. The state law states any clip after 2014, purchased after 2014, is illegal. I have to. They have to prove that I purchased it. I don't have to prove that I didn't get it, but I found the receipt for 2012. They dropped the charges based on that receipt. It was legal. The other one wasn't even mine. It was a three Purple Heart Iraqi war veteran who cleaned my gun for me. And was a, he was also military police. He left a 30 round clip here while he was unloading everything. It was a military issue. And it was sit on my kitchen counter for me to give him the next day. I had put a bunch of rounds into it to give him for cleaning my gun and say, hey, here's some rounds. So when you go to the shooting range or training or whatever you have to do, you'll have some rounds. The person claimed his gun. That same person that claimed my gun was raided about three weeks after me for some pill that he knows absolutely nothing about. I don't know how they even got a warrant. If the guy doesn't know anything about the pills and doesn't sell anything, then how do you get a warrant to kick down a guy's door? For those pills if you don't have any sales from those pills he went post-traumatic stress almost committed suicide had to go back to the va because they proceeded to raid an iraqi war veteran who had been shot by a sniper and blown up twice with masks and guns that hogtied him with zip ties and proceeded to question me they even questioned him about prostitution in my store which is unheard of how could they do that to a war veteran that did nothing and they didn't arrest him because they didn't find anything but this guy's life went through hell after that. But what are the ramifications? Nothing. Just because he cleaned my gun? That was the incredible story from Paul Fullerton. And we went on for almost an hour there. We probably could have gone on for another hour if we had wanted to. But you get the gist of this story. It's an amazing story. And... It ends up okay. And, and this is the thing that I think a lot of people don't really understand. A lot of people in Paul Fullerton's position who are charged wrongly with crimes end up having to face serious time. He went through an ordeal. His family got threatened. He, he had his kid taken away briefly. Fortunately, all he had to face was probation and jail time that was served in-house. He didn't have to go into custody. He was under house arrest for about three months, period. That is a lot better than a lot of other people who get caught up in the system, not to defend what he went through. But what's different about Paul is he wasn't going to take this lying down, and he has fought back. Hired a top-notch attorney, fought this every step of the way, has gone to the press, and pushed back against the system. This has been the Vanguard Court Watch Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next time for another episode of Ordinary Injustice.